When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're going to bring in our announcer schedule podcast guest this week. Uh, he is Tom McCarthy. His son, Pat McCarthy, actually had the call on the radio in Philadelphia uh, for the Phillies because Tom, a very versatile broadcaster, uh, he had NFL duties. So we'll bring in Tom McCarthy. Uh, he is the voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, Westwood One Radio, CBS Sports, the NCAA Tournament. And indirectly, he doesn't know this, I have my job because of Tom McCarthy. So we'll get into that as well. We'll find out his journey here on the Announcer Schedule Podcast, Episode 15, Tom McCarthy. How are you? Guys, I'm doing great. Big Phillies win last night, so uh, that's always better to get prepared for a second game when you had a win to work off of. Tom is in uh, your hometown there, Phil, Miami, uh, Phillies, Marlins. So, Tom, take us a little bit through um, – you know, I just mentioned all the things you're doing. It's a very hectic time for you right now. How are you mapping out? You've got two NFL games this weekend, Sunday CBS TV with Tiki Barber, Colts and the Texans, and then, of yep. course, Tennessee. Colts and the Jags. And the Colts Jags, and the excuse Jags. me, Jags. Yep. Tennessee and the Bills with Ross Tucker. You're going to get that first Monday night game. So you got Phillies, two football games. How are you making this all work right now? Well, it's uh, getting up at about 7 a.m. every day to make sure I start football for a few hours. Uh, in fact, I just finished my charts for the Jags and the Colts. Colts were a little easier because I had them last week, so I only had to sort of cut and paste a little bit, which made it a little made it a lot easier. Uh, I've already put the players and the numbers in for the, the Bills and the Titans, and I'll go after them tomorrow a little bit more. Uh, but I love it, man. It, you know, the biggest thing is, A, it keeps me busy, uh, but it also keeps my mind working. And that's why I like doing all these sports. I don't do as many football and basketball games as I used to do just because my responsibilities with the Phillies. But, you know, the Phillies are so good about allowing me to slide away within reason. Um, and they've always been that way. You know, uh, so for me, you know, it just keeps my mind rolling. And as long as I have time, I mean, usually on the road, I have more time. Uh, we're all good. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing Ross. Uh, that's when you feel old, when you work with somebody whose games you called for four years at Princeton. Um, but I love working with them, so it's going to be good. We'll get back to those roots. How cool is it to know that when you're not there, your son is holding down the fort, at least on one of the sides. He's on the radio side. Scott Fransky filled in uh, on the TV side. Full disclosure, I'm in the Philly market, so uh, I have that insight that maybe others wouldn't. But Pat on radio, how neat is that? It's great. You know, I'm really proud of him. You know, he um, I, I never thought that he would do this for a living, quite honestly, because I'm gone for so long, uh, or I was gone for so long while they they're all growing up um, and missed a lot of their games. You know, he's a college athlete. 
who love sports and love the, you know, the energy of the, of the sport. So uh, the fact that he's able to do it and do it at such a high level. And, you know, it's funny because I listen to him and I do hear some of my cadences with his calls, but I also hear his personality kind of rolling out, which I really like. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was a college pitcher um, and his dad was cut going to college to play baseball. So, you know, it's pretty cool, though. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's pretty overwhelming, honestly, to hear him call these games and call them with Larry Anderson this weekend, who he's known since he was five years old, which is kind of funny. Tom, really appreciate you joining our program. And a lot of young broadcasters tune in and want to hear how broadcasters like yourself got started in the business. Can you give us a bit of your origin story as a broadcaster? Yeah, it's kind of a, uh, a winding road to be quite honest with you, Phil. I mean, I, I went to school strictly to play baseball. Uh, I thought I was going to play baseball professionally, like a lot of people did. Uh, and I wouldn't listen to anybody who said, yeah, I don't think you're good enough to do it. Um, so every school I applied to, I think there were six or seven, I was a different major. You know, I was a hotel and restaurant management major in North Carolina Wesleyan. I was an English major at Indiana. I was a business major at Rutgers. And I wound up going to a Trenton State College, which is now called the College of New Jersey, uh, because my brother was there and had played baseball. And nobody in my family had gone to college. So I was just kind of following the only guy that had really gone to college. And there I was a biology major, um, which it turns out I was a really bad biology major. Uh, and I was actually a really bad baseball player, too, because I got cut within a week. Uh, there was a thought I was going to play basketball as well because I actually had a better senior year in basketball than I did in baseball. Uh, but And then it was a thought I was going to transfer to go play somewhere else. I decided to stay, but I also knew that I had to have some kind of sports in my life and uh, immediately started writing for a local uh, weekly newspaper. One of the guys that went to the College of New Jersey um, you know, knew that I had gotten cut, knew that I had interest in doing some stuff. So... He gave me a gig writing for a paper called the Hopewell Valley News, and I had no idea what I was doing. I went out and covered an event, and funny is the guy that I spotlighted in that story was a high school, I think junior at the time, who's now one of our official scorers with the Philadelphia Phillies. So you kind of, you know, it, it goes full circle in some ways. But I sat down to write that first story, had no idea what to do. So I saw the paper next to me. I picked it up and said, huh, okay, that's a baseball game. That's how they structure it. I'll do the same thing. Uh, and that's basically how I started in sports was as a writer. I eventually went to the daily paper in Trenton called the Trenton Times and uh, covered high school sports and college sports. And, and I loved it. I love the energy of writing on a deadline and all that other stuff. Um, but then I started doing some radio interviews and somebody told me, hey, you got a pretty good voice. You should think about doing this for a living. I was like, okay. So I started doing Babe Ruth baseball and high school sports. I bought the time on a local radio station and sold it. Um, went out and did these events. Half the time I couldn't get on the air because the equipment was so bad. Uh, but when I did get on the air, I thought, wow, this is an incredible natural high of being a broadcaster. So one thing kind of led to another. And I would cover a game for the paper. And then I would broadcast the game as well. So I would make... I can't remember what it was per hour, but I, I made pretty good money as a writer at the time, but then I'd get like 50 bucks to broadcast the game. So I would, I would kind of, I'd probably make like $150 for each event that I did. And uh, it was great, but I never thought I would be at this level, quite frankly. I mean, I, you know, I was enjoying what I was doing, but it was, 
there was no path ahead of me to, to figure out how to do it uh, until the Trenton Thunder came uh, to the capital of New Jersey in 1994. And I was fortunately hired to be their first PR guy uh, and broadcaster. Now, do you recall kind of the next big break that got you to this network level that you're at now? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, when I was at the Thunder, I had so many responsibilities and, and I invite all baseball play-by-play broadcasters to to go to minor league baseball. Uh, my son has done it for the last five years. You know, I have another son who's a minor league ball player who's thinking about doing it if he retires. And, and I think it's the best way to get an education on how to, A, uh, understand what people's responsibilities are in this business, because there's more than just you as a broadcaster. There's the advertising sales, there's the guys that pull the tarp, that take care of the field, the concession workers, all that stuff. So when I was working at the Thunder, um, I applied for the job. I had, I had been doing my college as football games. I wasn't on the student station, but I was on the commercial station. So I would get paid for those. And I did those for about three or four years. And then Princeton University was looking to hire a football and basketball broadcaster. So I applied for that job on a different radio station. And I got that job. And that kind of was the next step for me as being the broadcaster for the minor league team in town and technically the broadcaster for the football and basketball team in town because Princeton was a neighboring town. Um, and that was, to me, uh, the next step, which eventually led to Rutgers football down the road and then St. Joseph's basketball. Uh, and then a lot of other things happened while I was at the Thunder. I was there for seven years, and I was actually promoted to be the vice president of the team. And there was a point where I was going to leave broadcasting and go run a minor league baseball team. And I had agreed to it. And as I was driving to go sign the contract, I remember calling our owner, Joe Finley, who owns the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and still owns the Thunder. And I said, Joe, I can't do this. I can't give up my broadcasting. And he said, well, good, because we don't want you to. We just know that you'd be a good manager of people. So that's why we wanted you to run this organization. I called my wife and my two boys were born at the time. And I said, "Hun, I just can't do this. And she goes, well, I don't care what you do, but make sure you bring milk home uh, because the boys <laughs> don't have any milk and I can't get out to the store to get it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Tom, because we have a very similar type of path, although you ended up with the Phillies and here I am. So things have uh, changed somewhere. <laughs> I got hurt, went to the broadcasting booth, did play-by-play for West Virginia. I called their games for three years and done various play-by-play, but did writing called games while I was writing for the newspaper and you know I started to do talk radio and there was a station in Trenton 920 ESPN I believe you were there and had left I interviewed for that position we went back and forth the guy who was in Atlantic City ended up getting that job and now here I am in his spot when he left to go there so you leaving opened up this seat for me, That's good. and here I am. Now, um, the talk show element, was that something that you've done? And a lot of people have done it, but it's a big difference from being a talk show host every day and yeah. then doing play-by-play. Yeah, so uh, so as I was going through the process of being a, a front office administrator and I turned down the job to run the minor league team, somebody from uh, Comcast at the time, CNA, John Anderson, who was one of my directors, a great guy and helped me an awful lot in my life. He said to me, he said, people don't know if you're an administrator or if you're a broadcaster. And I said, well, what's that got to do with it? He's, you know, I had applied for a bunch of jobs. I had gotten down to the final 
rung for a couple of major league jobs and a couple of NBA jobs as well. And uh, he said, well, you got to decide what you want to do. So I decided to leave the Thunder as their assistant general manager, not take the president's job or general manager's job of another team. And I took on the responsibilities of being the afternoon host for the brand new ESPN station in Trenton that was considered the ESPN affiliate of Philadelphia. I had no idea what I was doing, but I loved it. And it made me a better play-by-play broadcaster because the pace of being interactive with callers and interviews just made me better. And there was a, um, there was a point where um, one of the guys who ran ESPN national came down, he's from Rutgers and the Rutgers uh, Rutgers university was doing a piece on him. So they set it up that he was going to do the interview in our studios. We had beautiful studios in Princeton, New Jersey. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. So they needed B roll while he was sitting there. They needed B-roll, and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning, and they asked me to open my show, which wasn't until 3 o'clock. So they said, can you do that? I said, yeah, sure, I could do it. So I just came up with an opening in like a matter of seconds. Well, that led to me getting a job with ESPN National as a fill-in guy for weekend shows and the Dan Levitard show, uh, and it was really cool. I mean, I, I loved going up to Bristol. I loved doing all that stuff. I would do some of it from my basement, Um And while I was doing that radio show, the Phillies were looking for somebody to broadcast, do their pre and post game show. And it was 2000, September of 2000. And I had still been doing the, doing the thunder play by play with Andy freed, who's now with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, And I was up for an Emmy for TV. Our whole crew was Uh, Sean Spurrier was our producer who now works for CBS. And, you know, Scott Bradley was my partner. John Anderson was my art director. But I had to fill in at the Phillies because the guys, Harry Callis, Scott Graham, were going to the Emmy Awards because they were up for the same award their, the Phillies broadcast was. So I'm doing the fill-in, and I felt like it was going really well. Uh, it was like my third time, fourth time doing it. And my boss comes in during the postgame show, Rory McNeil, and he's standing there over me with his arms crossed like this. And I'm like, oh, man, what did I do? And he said, why didn't you tell me that you had the Emmys tonight? And I said, well, because I wanted to do this. And he said, you won. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> wow. Our crew won. Anyway, I, they had heard my radio show. Scott Graham, who had been a friend of mine, who was a friend of mine who was ascending up to do play-by-play, was giving up the responsibilities of the pre- and post-game show. So they were looking for somebody that had, that game, that had radio show responsibilities, also had play-by-play responsibilities. And that's how I got hired by the Phillies for the first time and started in 2001, just doing the pre and post game show. I would do the road games for my basement. I built the studio in my basement, which then would allow me to do the stuff for um, ESPN national. And that is where I left minor league baseball for good. And, you know, didn't do any play by play for the first couple of years. I knew that I was 32 years old, but I knew that there would be an opportunity to do it. So I was doing Rutgers football at the time, Princeton basketball. Uh, and it was great. It was great. What a journey, Tom. And back to the play-by-play side and, you know, what you have going on this season. We mentioned, you know, you've got a CBS game, Colts-Jaguars mm-hmm. on Sunday, and then you're headed to the radio side, national radio side with Westwood One on Monday night. Can you tell our audience a little bit how that prep might differ or actually also the execution of the game, whether it's on national television or national radio? 
Yeah, so the prep is pretty much the same. The only thing that's different is that I have meetings with the teams for TV, which is a great outlet to get information, to tell stories. I don't have that same stuff with radio, uh, but there's plenty of information out there. My charts are exactly the same, though. My preparation's exactly the same. You know, my charts are, uh, it's the only thing I still write out are my football charts, because I, I can't remember anything without writing all this stuff out. So those are the charts that I built. Uh, those are the same ones I've been doing since I started at CBS 12 years ago uh, and doing Princeton football and, and Rutgers football. So that's the same. Uh, but I sort of carve out hours each day for a specific game that I'm doing. Uh, and that seems to make it a little easier. Now, I'm driving back and forth to Buffalo. So what I would normally be able to do on a plane, I can't really do. But it's making it easier for me to be then back to do the Phillies game on Tuesday, uh, which is obviously the priority is making sure I'm back for that game on Tuesday. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And then do you have to kind of reset in your mind, like, hey, this is a radio game yeah. on Monday night, and let me, let me, uh, the delivery yep. actually has to be different, of course? Yeah, Phil, it's got to be more descriptive, um, and, and it does take time. You know, I haven't done much radio in, since the NCAA tournament. Actually, I haven't done any radio since the NCAA tournament. Um, but with every sport, it takes time. It takes a few moments for your mind to sort of cycle into the pace of doing a radio game uh, compared to a TV game, but I love it. Um, again, I think all of this stuff that we do, and, and I don't do as, like I said, as much as I used to, uh, it makes me better. It just makes me a better broadcaster. It makes me a better partner. It makes me a better uh, person understanding all of these jobs that people have to make a living and how I rely on them so much. And um, that to me is the exhilarating part of this as well. Tom, I think one of the interesting things about what you're doing is, you know, you've done games on CBS television, Westwood One Radio, the NCAA tournament. I think you've called some games for Fox Baseball. How the yep. different every the producers approach those games differently and how that kind of changes your approach to getting ready for a game. You know, it's a good question, Mike, because I have I've had a different producer um, for most of the games that I do for spurts. So the last couple of years, Deb Bulak has been my producer for the NFL. And we, uh, we have a really good synergy going prior to that. It was seller shy, who is also the lead producer for golf for CBS. And I love working with sellers. Um, so you kind of get used to their tendencies for basketball. I pretty much have a different producer every single game. I do a lot of young people. Uh, and I love that because that's invigorating to me as a 54 year old broadcaster is that these young folks have so many different ideas. And as long as I'm open-minded about it, and I am really open-minded about it, uh, it's embracing for me to have that. Um, for baseball, I have the best producer, honestly, that I've ever had in anything that I've done in Jeff Halleckman. And, you know, he, he loves the Phillies, loves the Eagles, and loves everything about Philadelphia. So every time we have a game, I always tell people that every game is a totally different story. And that's because he makes it a totally different story. 
So um, I kind of feed off them. They'll tell you that they feed off me, but I really feel like it's the same thing with my partners. I feed off their strengths uh, just as I feed off the producer's strengths. Tom, I'd love to reflect back a little bit to week 18 of this past NFL season where suddenly you were in the situation, Panthers, Buccaneers working with, you know, the game that was being shown to the you know primary part of the country, working with Tony Romo, filling in for Jim Nance, mm-hmm. Tracy Wolfson on the sideline. Can you tell us the manifestation of all that, um, you know, from your perspective, what it was like getting that call and then logistically how you had to handle it? Well, it, it was awesome. You know, Jim Rickoff is the main producer for CBS's A-game, and Jim was my producer for a year uh, in the NFL while he was getting himself reacclimated to leading a telecast. So he and I were like clockwork. I mean, he's, you know, he, I look at him as a brother to me. Um, so that was easy. You know, so I, I had been the primary fill-in for anybody who came down with COVID over a few years um, with CBS, but I hadn't filled in for anybody. Everybody was, we, we were knock on wood healthy, which was great. Um, so it just so happened that Jim contracted COVID and they needed somebody to slide in. I was off that week and, um, you know, they asked if I would do it. And actually I shouldn't say that I was supposed to do basketball that week. And I, I was on two different games for basketball because they didn't know, um, if I think it was Brad Nestler, whether he could travel or not. So I was preparing for two basketball games on Monday and Tuesday for Saturday and Sunday. And then all of a sudden on a Wednesday, they called and said, hey, change of plans. You're going to go to Tampa. I said, oh, really? For what? And they said, for Buccaneers and Panthers. And I'm sitting there in my mind. I was like, that's the A game. Um, but, you know, CBS has been really good to me. They, they've given me a lot of responsibility. And I really like that. I like that that opportunity. And, and I loved working with Tony and Tracy. I mean, Tracy's really unbelievably prepared. She's fantastic at her job. Uh, and Tony, he's just like a big kid. I mean, he, um, he's got such a great energy about him that he makes the hype of a game a game. It doesn't matter what it is. Tom, uh, we'll let you go here in a couple more real quick because you have such a great story. You have so many different partners. Crook, mm. very fun. Uh, ben, uh, you brought in Ruben this year. You've had Schmidt in, in, in games. Uh, how do you, you know, changing your partners so often, is that a challenge? You know, it's not, Mike, only because, I, I mean, I, you know, even when Sarge and Wheels were on, they were, they were together for the game, but they were totally different. So you had to adjust even in the game about how to do it. I've always had different partners. Um, my biggest thing is, you know, particularly on TV, it's not about me on TV. It's really about them. And for me to bring out the best of them, the best I can, that's the key. You know, on radio, I think it's more about the play-by-play guy. Uh, but on TV, it's more about who the analyst is. And, and I like the different guys. I really do. You know, I, I know that I have to set guys up differently. You know, um, Ben knows an awful lot about this game. Uh, and sometimes I have to engage him a little bit more than I have to engage. Well, I definitely don't have to engage Kruk. Um, <laughs> I just let him go and I just try to keep him on a path. And uh, he knows where the line is um, that he can cross. Uh, but he's really funny sometimes with some of his stories that, that come out of nowhere. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, they, they said it, it was actually a letter from a fan saying, can you keep him from telling all these stories for so long? I said, no. I said, because the first time I'm hearing them is the first time everybody else is hearing them. Yeah. Um, I thought the so guy who filled in for the inning that night, he came very prepared, <laughs> that guy, and got some great stuff out of Kruk. Uh, he did. He did. You know, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, Johnny is – 
Johnny's a man that um, has, he, he doesn't, he doesn't plan anything that he says. It's whatever pops in and pops out. And uh, I like that about all these guys. I mean, they're all different personalities and I like that, uh, you know, just, just got to stay out of their way and just make sure you, you keep on the, the target of the game. One of the biggest, you know, um, the biggest things people always say, there's some people that don't like all the food shots that we have or all the food in the booth. And they think, well, these guys are always eating. Like we're not like we bring them in, we show them, we take a bite on TV and then we pass them off to the crew. Um, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that, you know, we just kind of ride with. We don't even know half the stuff that's going on until it actually happens. When the doorbell rings in the booth, we're like, Oh, who's this? Most of the time it's the fanatics. So that's what we're thinking. Or bull, um, Greg Lazinski. But, you know, we never know what's going on. Yeah, Tom, um, obviously in this region, uh, Harry Callis is very well known. You had to be the guy that followed yeah. Harry. And, you know, we're, we're you know, well, that was 09. Um, but is that something that was difficult to kind of get off the ground? Uh, how, how was that kind of being the next guy after Harry? You know, Mike, I think the biggest thing was I was a radio guy coming to TV. And for the first couple of years, I was doing radio on television. I'll go back and listen now and I'll be like, man, you talked a lot. I mean, people think I talk a lot now. I don't compare it to other teams and their broadcasts, but everybody's perception is different. That was the biggest thing. I mean, I came back to replace Harry whenever he was going to retire. But we thought it was 10 years down the road. And unfortunately, in 09, the worst day of any of our lives as broadcasters, but more so for his family, was when he passed away in D.C. Um, Gary Matthews told me one time, he pulled me aside, and, Gar and Sarge and I are really good friends, but, and we joke a lot, but this was a really serious conversation. He looked at me and he said, you know, somebody had to take over for Willie Mays at one point, but they weren't Willie Mays. They were just the next guy. He said, you don't have to be Willie Mays. You know, he said, just be yourself. And that's what Harry always used to tell me. Harry knew I was coming back for this role and he welcomed me with open arms. And, you know, he laid a lot of the groundwork for some of the things that I'm doing now. He would leave most weekends in September to do Notre Dame football. Um, he wouldn't do the NFL on radio until after the season was over most times, but he would go to NFL films a couple of times a week and miss games to do voiceovers. You know, he was irreplaceable on so many levels and we miss him every single day because nobody could make the big call. Me, Scott Fransky, doesn't matter who it is. Nobody can make the big call uh, as well as Harry does. Uh, and I'm glad that he was here for so many years because, you know, it, it, it was fair to this great city to have such a great broadcaster. And, you know, I just try to be myself and be as prepared as possible and do the games um, with the greatest respect that I can. And I love the fact that I'm linked to him more as a friend than anything else. Well, uh, Philadelphia is known for it. Tom uh, McCarthy is the voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, Westwood One, CBS Sports. If you're in the car or you're watching TV, you've heard Tom's voice doing something. We get to hear him hear it. Now, Phillies could be a playoff team. I know that uh, the TV won't do them, but these late-season games, what's going to happen then? Is Tom McCarthy going to be on the Phillies late-season broadcast, or are we going to have you on football? Well, so this is my last game this weekend uh, before uh, the end of the season. Uh, and that's kind of an agreement that I have with the Phillies and CBS is awesome about it. So I had a, I had a week four game scheduled for CBS um, and my boss at CBS, he and I communicate, you know, right up front about all of it. Uh, 
So I've stepped away from that game, and uh, Beth Mowens is going to fill in for who's going to do the game because Beth does games too for CBS. She and I kind of share a lot of the duties uh, for the back end games. It's why I'm the, on the number seven crew is because I have sort of the I don't want to say the freedom because that's probably the wrong way of saying it, but I have the latitude if we are in a race to be able to say, hey, guys, I got to stay with the Phillies. And they totally understand that, which is great. All right. Uh, Tom McCarthy, versatile, the voice of the Phillies, NCAA. We can't wait for that. We'll hear his voice there. Uh, Excuse me, uh, NFL, uh, Monday Night Football. This week he'll have that first game with Ross Tucker and on the radio, Westwood One. CBS, it'll be Indy and the Jags with Tiki Barber. Tom McCarthy, Mm. we thank you for being a part of the announcer schedule uh, podcast. Guys, I appreciate it. It was great. Very good. Yeah, stuff. thanks so much, Tom, and, and good luck this week. And, and thanks for supporting the Twitter feed at Announcer Skeds over the years as well. You got it. I appreciate you guys doing it. It really helps. All right, uh, Tom, we appreciate him. We thank him for being a part of the podcast this week, Phil. There you go, man. Uh, he spanned it all, and indirectly, I have my job because Tom left his job. <laughs> yeah, well, that's wild. And, you know, really love hearing these origin stories, you know, just. I mean, talking about paying your dues and kind of figuring out things as you go along and uh, one of the best in the business, no doubt. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.